Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Blow up. Welcome, everybody, to the Friday, August 14th edition of Locked On Dolphins. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor over at USA Today's DolphinsWire.com, director of scouting at TheDraftNetwork.com. And very excited to kind of dip into alternate realities here a little bit. This was uh, probably the most fun I've had writing a Miami Dolphins-related subject since before the NFL draft. And and quite frankly, probably even before the NFL combine. And uh, we're going to turn this into some some podcast content today because I think exploring where the Dolphins are versus where the Dolphins are would have and could have been if they did some things differently that were highly criticized at the time. It's pretty eye-opening exercise. So, before we get there, uh, a couple of the Dolphins met with the South Florida media throughout the course of the day yesterday, including Tua, Big Money Byron Jones, Devon Godchow, and it was pretty cool hearing these guys talk about... uh, anything and everything that was brought to the table by those in attendance. And, and I appreciated hearing Devon Godchow because people look at the Dolphins roster and they see the pass rushers that they have. And then the question is, oh, well, we need to put edge rusher really high for the Dolphins because you know, Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba, these guys are like really good secondary options, but they don't have a featured like win in one-on-ones off the edge. And you listen to Devon Godchow talk, and I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I don't know that the Dolphins are ever going to do that. I don't know if that's ever the direction that the Dolphins are going to take as it pertains to building under the watch of Brian Flores and Chris Greer, their pass rush room. And and Devon Gottschall was asked specifically about the schemed pressure that the Dolphins are going to be bringing to the table. And here's what he had to say. Scheme pressure works well. You have Flo, who is with New England, and they had some scheme pressures, and you just have to have everybody do their jobs. If the nose tackle's got to penetrate, he's got to penetrate, and then the buck probably has to do a stunt, or he's got to do something else. So you just have to have everybody on the same page. I think once you do that as a defense, you're going to get sacks, you're going to get all the numbers you want, you're going to have tackles for loss, you're going to do all that, but you have to do it as a team. It's 11 guys on the field as a defense. And the, the point of emphasis that he followed with is all it takes is one selfish player who wants to try and shoot a gap to make a play on his own. And your front's compromised. You're not going to get home because you're going to stuff up multiple guys with one blocker. You're going to give up gaps in the run game. You're going to get gouged in the run game. That's why Kiko Alonso got his ass traded out of here last summer. Because he spent the entire training camp freelancing and trying to make plays. That's not what the Dolphins want. And the Dolphins, it doesn't seem like they're going to be a team that stacks up four down linemen, and they're going to say, okay, go win on -on one-on-ones. They're not going to do that. They would rather get more elaborate looks up front. They're going to have schemed stunts, schemed overloads, 
trying to manufacture numbers games and getting outnumbered on one half of the line of scrimmage or the other based on pre-snap looks and threatening one side and threatening one gap and walking guys up into the line of scrimmage and then buzzing and rolling those guys out and bringing the nickel hot off the edge. That's how the Dolphins are going to manufacture their pressure, and that's why the Dolphins have gone out and attacked the secondary in the way in which they have, because if you have coverage guys that can cover for three seconds, you stay sticky for three seconds against manufactured looks, unless you have a quarterback that is going to bat a 1,000 in the pre-snap. You're going to catch him off guard. You're going to manufacture the needed negative plays throughout the course of a drive, throughout the course of a quarter, throughout the course of a half, throughout the course of a game. That's going to get you off the field. Because then either he's going to make a rush decision under pressure and you're going to create a turnover, or you're going to create the negative plays and then you play bend, don't break, and get off the field and force a punt. So you're going to continue to hear, and, and I'm going to be guilty of this as well, because I think the Dolphins' edge group could use another prominent body. No, I, don't, I don't want to say, oh, everybody's doing this and it's dumb. Everybody's going to want to tie the Dolphins to more edge rushers. All I'm saying is don't be surprised if they continue to target the same style of guys that they have now. Because if you play disciplined up front, and that's probably a, a great appeal as to why the Dolphins and Brian Flores specifically were so excited to get Raekwon Davis in the room. Because that's effectively what Raekwon Davis was tasked to do at Alabama. Do the dirty work for other guys to get the penetration wins. Hold your gap. Play assignment sound football. Raekwon Davis did all that, and he is a, uh, from a physical standpoint, a freak. He just didn't have his number called a whole lot at Alabama, and because of that, he didn't really advance in some of the technical advancements for pass rushing getting off of blocks. But he played the exact same style of football that Devon Godshall described yesterday talking to the South Florida media about assignment sound football and schemed pressures. But as I said, Gotchow wasn't the only player yesterday who talked to the South Florida media. Miami Dolphins' newly signed cornerback, Byron Jones, received a massive contract from the Miami Dolphins during free agency this season, bringing with him high expectations that he can be a premier shutdown corner. He has all the tools, but there is one thing missing from his resume at this point in time. Turnovers. Jones comes to Miami after five seasons in Dallas with just two career interceptions, but he acknowledged that he's been working on it every day in practice. Jones met with the media and said, Finding the ball is a skill set, so like any skill set, you work on it on a daily basis. When there's a special teams period, I go with coaching assistant Charles Burks. We go off to the side and we work on seeing the ball in all the way, and then we work on high-pointing the ball as the ball is in the air, looking back over the opposite shoulder. We make the drills as uncomfortable as possible so that it, when it happens in the game, it's natural at that point. And while the criticism of Jones and his lack of turnovers may be somewhat warranted in his departure from Dallas, it's worth remembering that Jones played two of his five seasons in Dallas primarily as the free safety on the team, and that's where both of his interceptions came, one in 2016 and one in 2017, before converting back in 2018 to corner full-time. Jones entered the league as a corner, played some corner and some safety his rookie season, was flipped to free safety, and then flipped back to corner again after two years. So criticizing Jones too, too harshly for never really being able to settle in 
if he doesn't have those natural ball hawking skills and he's much more of a play the body of the receiver type of defender, it's really difficult to place too much blame at Jones's feet. Now, if he comes to Miami and plays opposite Xavier Howard and he gets a bunch of targets and he continues to fail to make the splash plays but doesn't deter, deter opposing quarterbacks from throwing in his direction, then Miami may end up having a little bit of buyer's remorse. But the good news is with a long-term contract like this, Jones having two years of experience now consecutively playing the cornerback position and having the best cornerback he will have ever played alongside next to him or across from him in Xavier Howard, Jones was the man in the Cowboys secondary in 2018 and 2019. Players like Chidobe Awuzie and Jordan Lewis and Anthony Brown, they were up and down. Xavier Howard, when he's on the field, there's a little bit of variability with his game as well, but that comes from baiting opposing quarterbacks. Xavier, in a lot of rooms across the NFL, would be CB1. But you have the case to make, based on the consistency of coverage that Byron Jones provides, that Byron is CB1 and Xavier is CB2. And opposing quarterbacks then have to make that decision. Do you want to take the risk on consistently getting your passes batted down and hoping that Byron Jones doesn't figure out how to play the ball? Or do you want to go test the guy who you might get more completions off of, but you're also guaranteed to have more balls ball-hawked and plucked away from your receivers because of Howard's instincts in coverage and man-to-man situations? It's an unenviable position for opposing quarterbacks to be in, and that's exactly what the Dolphins were paying for when they decided to make Byron Jones at the time the highest-paid corner in the game, regardless of his interception total. If anybody has been listening to this podcast for any lengthy amount of time, you know the affinity for Built Bar that exists on this show. I am a huge fan of Built Bar's product, and it broke my heart when Built Bar did their fire sale emptied out their inventory, and began kind of this total overhaul of their bars. But the wait is over. The new and improved Built Bar is back and even more delicious-er than ever before. There are six new flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barica, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp, plus 12 of their best original flavors. Here's the thing, 100% chocolate, easy to eat. It's not as though you're going to sit there chewing on a piece of leather. So you get with a lot of these protein bars, they're chalky, they're dense, they're brittle. This thing's like eating a candy bar. And you're talking about less than 200 calories for bar. You're talking about almost 20 grams of protein, very low amount of sugar, and they're delicious. So what's not to like? So with Built Bar being back... We have the opportunity. You can use promo code Locked On to save ten dollars off your next order. That's promo code Locked On for ten dollars off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Wanted to spend the majority of the show today looking at an alternate reality for the Miami Dolphins, if you will, a twilight zone. An all-pro tackle stays in South Florida. A disgruntled safety sucks it up and decides to play for an accomplished defensive coordinator, now his head coach. The Dolphins add 
their best possible player on both sides of the line of scrimmage for the 2019 season. What changes await? How are the Dolphins different today? Do the Dolphins still land quarterback Tua Tungabaloa? All of these questions answered today on the Twilight Zone. So I decided to go through and look at the potential dominoes. You know, when the Dolphins decided to trade Laramie Tunsil and Minka Fitzpatrick in a span of three weeks, it's a very difficult stretch for the Dolphins fans. The tank for Tua thing really ramped up and accelerated, and uh, the team fell flat. You know, obviously, trading Tunsil and then the loss to Baltimore was brutal. Minka gets traded the following week after playing free safety uh, against the Patriots and playing fairly well, and... The Dolphins going to lose each of their next five football games. So I wanted to ask myself, okay, let's pretend we, we've seen what reality has brought us for the Miami Dolphins, but what about what could have transpired if they kept Minka and Tunsil? Remember, they, they weren't intent on trading either one of these players. Minka decided he wanted to take his ball and go home because he didn't like how Flores was asking him to practice things he wasn't good at. And Tunsil, they got an offer they simply could not refuse with two ones and a two. If the Dolphins kept both of these players, I tried to find, you know, wins above replacement or AV as an approximate value, courtesy of Pro Football Reference, for both of these two players to kind of find a measure of what would have gone differently for the Dolphins. And I didn't find anything definitive. So what I ultimately decided to do is say, okay, we lost a game to Washington who was a worse team than Miami last year, by one point. Rosen obviously started that game. We made the change to Fitz. We went for two with seconds left in the game and did not get it. We lose the football game. If Minka and Laramie play in that game, pretend that's a win. And then the Dolphins' one-point loss in New York to the Jets. Another team that, despite what the record says, was worse than the Dolphins last year. You add the two best possible players you could have had on your roster last year on either side of the football in Minka and Laramie. I'm going to say, let's pretend we win those two one-point losses to bad football teams. Puts the Dolphins at 7-9, and nine, hypothetically. Okay, Brian Flores gets two more wins in his, his first year. The Dolphins are a rebuilding team. And the Dolphins have the same record as they did the year before. That's great, right? We lost our leading pass rusher, our leading receiver, our leading rusher, our leading passer. All of this change on the team. And we still finish with the same record, right? Wrong. Because what has happened and what domino effects fall because the Dolphins go 7-9 and nine and keep Laramie Tunsil and Minka Fitzpatrick are as follows. There's no real financial implications for Minka staying on the team versus being traded from the team. But Laramie Tunsil got himself a contract extension, and that was always the expectation, and that was something he was looking for from Miami before he was traded. The Texans, after trading for him, gave him that extension to the tune of some $22 million annual average salary per season. So we should probably pretend the Dolphins, if they're going to keep Tunsil, and he's a long-term piece of the puzzle, pretend he gets that same contract extension. Maybe it's a couple million dollars less. Maybe. 
but you're still talking 20 mil plus per season for Laramie Tunsil. That's a win for Laramie. It's a win for Miami. You keep a, a good offensive tackle, but you pay him top dollar. Think about the salary cap implications there. Forget about the draft for now because we have the, that's the next piece of the puzzle to look at. The Dolphins right now have approximately $24 million in cap space for this year. And the Dolphins have approximately $10 million in cap space for next year because of the salary cap reduction due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the revenue sharing that's been lost. The Dolphins need every ounce of draft of cap space that they can get to roll over to make sure that they can pay the players they draft, comfortably pay any players they want to bring in as upgrades, and retain their own talents as they see fit, whether that's Devon Gottschall, Raquel McMillan, all the above, Kamuger Hill, Matt Breida, so on and so forth. $30 million in the grand scheme of like NFL payroll is not a lot of money. You get Laramie Tunsil and Shaq Lawson. That's $30 million. That's it. That's your entire spending space for next year if the Dolphins don't drop any more coin this year on players and roll it all over to 2021. But if you sign Tunsil, one of two things happens. You either can't afford to sign, say, Byron Jones at corner, and now you're significantly worse at corner, or you sign Byron Jones, and you sign everybody that you were going to sign whilst retaining Tunsil and paying Tunsil, and now your salary cap space for this year in the here and now versus what you were paying Austin Jackson as the pick, because remember... They don't have picks 18 and 30 now because they didn't trade those players. So they just have their first round pick. The difference in what you're paying Igbo and Austin Jackson versus what you are paying Robert or what you would be paying Laramie Tunsil is the equivalent of, say, 16 to $18 million. So knock 16 to $18 million off of this year's cap for the Dolphins and add that onto next year's commitments before anything happens. So instead of the Dolphins entering 2021 with all the other personnel moves staying the same, with $30 million in cap space, you lose, let's say it's worst case or best case scenario for Miami, $16 million, you knock that off. So instead of rolling over $20 million in cap space, the Dolphins are rolling over $4 million in cap space. And instead of having $10 million in cap space in 2021 with the cap reduction, they have negative $6 million because you are taking on the Tunsil contract, and when you roll it over, you're still $10 million in the red next year by just signing Tunsil to the contract extension and making all the other personnel moves. So you can either bring all these players in along with extending Tunsil, knowing we're $10 million in the red for 2021, we're going to have to cut some people and get under, or we're going to have to restructure some contracts, or you don't sign Byron Jones. So either way, the Dolphins are going to incur personnel losses if they were extending Laramie Tunsil beyond the personnel losses that they've already lost through the NFL draft by not having as many picks at their disposal. The big domino here, despite the fact that like going from having like effectively a $40 million swing in the salary cap 
is a big deal, especially when it puts you in the red and you're going to have to cut players and then incur more dead money, which is the vicious cycle that the Dolphins have been in for three years now. What happens at quarterback? You got Fitzpatrick, you got Rosen. But now, if you win two games, you aren't picking five anymore. You're picking 11 based on strike the schedule. The Jets are up in front of you. Everybody from 5 to 11, or 6 to 11, moves up in front of you. And the Dolphins are lucky they're only picking 11. Because the team that picked 16 this year was the Atlanta Falcons, and they too were 7 and 9. So in this hypothetical that the Dolphins win two more games because they have Tunsil and Fitzpatrick for the entire season on the roster, and they go 7 and 9, they are barely dodging a bullet from dropping 10-plus spots in the draft order. They do plunge nine spots in the second round because that's how the draft order works. You'd strength the schedule for tiebreakers. 11 through 16 were all tied in the first round. The team who picks 11 goes to the end of the queue in the second round. So the Dolphins lose nine spots, picking from 39 to picking at 48. You can hope you can still get Robert Hunt there. But you ain't getting Tua. You definitely ain't getting Tua at 11. Chargers are probably going to take him at 5. So now you have the proposition of going from $30 million to negative $10 million in cap space and only walking out of the first round with Jordan Love or Justin Herbert and potentially losing on Robert Hunt. Or... If you're dead set on getting Tua, you go from $30 million in cap space to negative $10 million in cap space, and the subsequent dominoes that are going to follow there for personnel to get back under the cap, or the decisions you would make ahead of the 2020 draft in not signing some of these big money guys, whether it's Shaq Lawson or Emmanuel Lagba or Byron Jones or however you want to cut it. And if you want to go from 11 to in front of the charters at 5 to guarantee you get Tua, you're talking about going from having five first-round picks in two years because you traded Tunsil and Fitzpatrick to having one first-round pick in two years because you're going to go from 11 to three or four. You're going to have to give up next year's one and probably this year's two. So $30 million in cap space, no Minka, no Laramie long-term. $30 million in cap space, Next year in 2021. And Tua, Austin Jackson, Noah Igbenogany, Robert Hunt, Raekwon Davis. Or negative $10 million in cap space or losing a premier free agent. Tua Tungavaloa, Raekwon Davis, and no first round pick next year. Or negative $10 million in cap space, or losing premier free agent. Quarterback Jordan Love or Justin Herbert, you hope Robert Hunt, and one first-round pick next year. Considering where the Dolphins are in their rebuild, how early on this process is, this is as, as comprehensive of a look as the whole thing that we can get, and the Dolphins, pretty clearly, they covet corners over safety. If they coveted safety to the same degree 
they would have went out and got a free safety this year, whether it was Logan Ryan or Grant Delpit or Antoine Winfield or whatever. They deemed a nickel corner in this defense is more important than free safety. Coverage options. Minka didn't want to play man-to-man. Not against tight ends. He didn't want to play the run. So when you look at all the puzzle pieces, there's no freaking way this time last year we're sitting here forecast a global pandemic's going to knock potentially $40 million off the cap in 2021. But it did. And the Dolphins not having to pay Tunsil that money or paying him that money and costing themselves effectively two corners because you don't get Byron Jones and you don't get Igbo. So what does your corner room look like now? Because you can't afford it when you pay Laramie Tunsil that money. There's more unknown with what we have. But there's also much more flexibility with what we have. Salary cap perspective, personnel perspective. You can continue to tweak and pivot. And let's be honest, you guys might not like me saying this, we're not winning the Super Bowl this year. We might not make the playoffs this year, but it's all part of the process. And it's what like Brian Flores and every single player who gets in front of the media says day by day, one day at a time. I want to be better today than I was yesterday. Commit myself to that process and the results will take care of themselves. Building this roster is the same thing. And on the surface level, losing Minka and Laramie Tunsil is a step backwards. But as a part of the team building process that the Dolphins committed themselves to when Chris Greer took over, hire Brian Flores, and the team decided we're going to hit the flush button on all of this shit in the bowl. This is the pathway. And because the Dolphins made the decisions that they did and they coveted long-term flexibility and assets versus players who, A, didn't want to be here because they had a bad attitude, or a player that was giving you an unreal return on investment in Laramie Tunsil and not having to pay that player $22 million in a year in which you're probably going to go 7 and 9, 8 and 8, 9 and 7, and no realistic opportunity to make the playoffs. And then in 2021, when you're hoping to be ready to compete in the playoffs, you can't add any players. You're actually getting rid of players because you have to get rid of players to get underneath the salary cap. Everything turns out the way it does for a reason. And I am choosing to look at the saga of the Dolphins rebuild and some of the questionable trades that they made and the flack that the Dolphins took for the conduct an investigation against the Dolphins bullshit that we heard last September and October. And we look at it now and we look back on it now. And Austin Jackson may never become Laramie Tunsil. And Noah Igbenogany may never become a first-team all-pro defensive back like Minka Fitzpatrick. But for how the cards were dealt and for how the Dolphins choose to play it, I choose to believe this outcome is more favorable because it gives them more flexibility and you did not have to mortgage your future to go get Tua, or you didn't turn around and walk out of that draft with Jordan Love or Justin Herbert, and that's it. Because those are the alternatives if you keep Minka and you keep Laramie.
Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of The Twilight Zone. Might be doing this again sometime. I really enjoyed the the kind of the, the shtick here of getting the, the theme music in here. Had a little fun with it on a Friday. If you enjoyed, please hit subscribe on the pod. Come back and see us again. Locked On Network, your team every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, covering the Miami Dolphins. Training camp's underway. We got the, we got the helmets on. We're going to put the shells on here before long. We're ramping up into contact practices. Lots to look forward to. Start of the season is less than a month away. Hope you guys enjoy your weekends. Come on back. See me again on Monday.